0: Well, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. As I was thinking through the last two years that have truly been two of my favorite years in all of my many years of ministry, this has been two years that I look back on and I'm blown away at God's grace. Um, Spent nine years doing uh, youth ministry And over the course of nine years, God did amazing things that I was constantly blown away by and loved and cherished. Um, But these years that we spent together have been some of my favorite. The problem is, as we continue to move further and further away from when we started, we move further and further away from why we started. Why are we here? What do we do? Why do we wake up early on Sundays when everybody else sleeps in? Again, if this is just a hobby that we have, if this is just us getting together to enjoy some time as a hobby, say golf or um, watching movies or reading books, this is the worst hobby that's ever been created. If this is a hobby, this is a lame hobby. It's not a hobby. God's Word clearly tells us what we do every time we gather together. And so I wanted to remind us yet again of why we're here I wanted to remind us of why we gather uh, and I wanted to kind of give it to you uh, of a, kind of in my own motivation for why I show up every Sunday. Why I love and cherish and I'm excited when I go to bed on Saturday nights. I, I get excited. I know that's probably nerdy and geeky, but I get really excited Saturday nights that Sunday's coming. I love being here. I love what happens in these walls. I love that eternal destinies are created Because of our time here. This isn't playing games. This isn't take it or leave it. I love the sobriety and the seriousness of what we do every Sunday morning. Even though we have fun and we have joy, there is such seriousness to it. People are being sanctified in such a way that they will go to heaven and not to hell. Because of our time together. I love what God does here. I've seen him do so many amazing things and I know we'll continue to see that. If I can give you just five reasons why I love coming to church, five reasons why I wake up every Sunday and, and super excited, even though I'm super tired. <laughs> this morning uh, came a little earlier than we expected and woke up and just one of those mornings you try to open your eyes and they refuse to open, right? They just kind of yell back at you, no, I'm not opening. You stay asleep. Coffee helps that for sure. But these five reasons help very much in getting me out of bed and getting here number one every time we gather together we get to magnify god every time we gather together on a sunday morning we get to magnify god we get to see who he is we get to look at him we get to stare at him we get to see what he's done many of us know who god is maybe maybe we know a lot more about god than most people know but we cannot exhaust who god is And so every time we gather together, we get to see him more clearly, more nearly, and savor him more dearly. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Look at what God has done, who he is and what he has done. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens, things on earth, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory." Now, we could spend a lifetime studying those verses. I think we'll study them in heaven together one day. But as we dialogue about those verses, as Paul writes those verses, he doesn't just end with, be warm and be filled, know these verses, you're good to go. He says, verse 15, For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers." And then he reads, he he quotes that prayer that we read earlier in our time together. He prays that God would be glorified and that he would give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. He prays, verse 18, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, that you would know what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints is. You would know the surpassing greatness of his power. You would know the strength of his might. You would know the strength that's brought about in Christ when he was raised from the dead. You and I have eyes that are not these eyes. You and I have eyes that only the Spirit can open. And if those eyes are not opened, then we cannot know what is the hope that we have in Christ. Those eyes can open and shut. Sometimes they're open and we see and we are wowed by God's grace. Sometimes they are shut. And when we hear, though hearing we do not hear, though seeing we do not perceive. So Paul says, I want you to know. I want the truths that you already know to come to a place in your heart where they take root and change your life. If we were to truly believe these words that Paul writes... We would never be anxious. We would never worry. We would never second-guess the love that God has for us. We would never wonder if He is trustworthy. The only reason that we do those sinful things is because the eyes of our hearts are not opened fully to see and to savor the magnificence of God. We want to magnify God. We get to do that every Sunday morning. I love the word "magnify. Two meanings. You can either take something microscopic and make it larger so you can see it. That's magnifying something. That's obviously not what we do on Sundays. God is not a tiny little speck and we're magnifying him to see him clearly. Instead, the second definition is taking something that's truly enormous like a planet or a star, but it seems small in our vision because of the distance or because of what's between us. And you enlarge in that through an instrument to be able to see That thing for what it truly is. That's my prayer every time we gather together on Sundays. Monday comes and our enlarged view of God starts to diminish. If we're honest, it diminishes Sunday at about 1.30. And over the course of Sunday night, depending on how well your favorite football team is doing, it diminishes even more. And it keeps on shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. Monday it shrinks. Tuesday it shrinks. You get further and further away he gets smaller and smaller and smaller in your view until he is a speck. And you're squinting to see him, wondering if he's still there, if he still cares, if he still hears, if he still loves. That's why Paul prays, I want you to know. I want you to see clearly and know. I don't want this to be a mystery to you. This is exactly what Paul's praying um, He's praying that in Ephesians three. We we have so much scripture. We're not going to have enough time to get to. I didn't give myself enough time today, but that's okay. These are all things that you know. It's review from what we've studied before. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter three, verses seven through thirteen, about how big God is, and verses fourteen through twenty-one. Right off uh, of that statement, he says, "I want you to know that. I want you to know it. This is who He is, and I want you to know it." So simply reading and comprehending is not enough to say that you know it. The only way that you can say that you have true knowledge of what the Word says about God is if you're living in accordance to that knowledge. That's what I love about the Scriptures. Here's the knowledge, but it only becomes knowledge to you if it changes your life. If it doesn't change your life, then it's not true knowledge. It's just the kind of knowledge that Paul says puffs up. If you find yourself prideful, if you find yourself judgmental or critical or looking down on other people, then you're struggling to truly know the Bible. You might know a lot of facts about it, but you don't know it. God has become small in your view, and he needs to be magnified. Just think about the Old Testament. Three, three verses that you can write down. Psalm 40, Psalm chapter 40, verse 16. Psalm 40, verse 16. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. Psalm 34, verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. We need to magnify his name. We need to see him clearly. Psalm 69, verse 30. I will praise the name of God with song and magnify him with thanksgiving. We need to see God for who he is. What stands in the way between us? What's the distance? The distance uh, is our perception of his nearness, and the distance is also what stands between us, is also our sin. Our sin clouds our view and shrinks him down to our size. We want to blow him back up. This is the best telescope that you could ever use to see God for who he is. And what we do in a very real sense when we gather together on Sundays, as we recalibrate our telescopes, we stare as we're looking at God's word. We're staring at God and we're seeing him for who he is. But the reality is you can't magnify for others what you haven't seen yourself or what you quickly forget. So every Sunday we magnify God to remember ourselves, to remember. And then we go out into the world to a world who hates God, to a world who thinks God is a tiny little speck. God, <clears throat> to the world, is about as fascinating as like Halley's Comet. Every once in a while you'll think about him. Even when you do, you don't really care. It's just like, oh, I think he's, that's him, that's it. And you walk away. And you forget. If we're honest, we struggle with that too. We think about God on Sundays, we walk away, we forget. Most people... Practically do not respond to God in a way that honors him for who he is. He is not important, not as important, practically speaking, as your television set. His book, the Bible, is not as compelling as even a weekly newspaper about actors or actresses. His company, his intimacy is not as stimulating to you as a college football game. Most people say that God exists the way that they would say that Halley's Comet exists. So our job, as we get to come together on Sunday mornings and magnify God together, is recalibrate our telescopes, point other people to look through us at who God is through the Scriptures, and ultimately our church becomes then an observatory to see God magnificently, clearly in view of who He is. A church which causes others to stop thinking of God as small, but instead to think about Him and see Him as great as He truly is, is a church that magnifies God. That's what I want our church to be. That's what I love to do. Every Sunday when we wake up, we get to come to church and magnify God together. Number two, when we come to church, we get to see and savor God's glory. Turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 We get to see and savor God's glory. Every time we open God's word, we see God's glory on display. And every time we see his glory on display, we in turn are transformed. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says this. We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image as we are seeing. We're the same image of Jesus Christ from glory to glory justice from the lord the spirit this verse is so powerful as far as what we do every sunday we don't come on sunday mornings to give a list of rules of do's and don'ts those are helpful but only so much as it's helping point us to god's glory this passage says you are transformed i am transformed we are sanctified by staring at god's glory It is glory. As we behold the glory of the Lord, we're transformed. Not as you try harder. Not as you do better. Not as you stop doing this or start doing that. You are changed. You and I are transformed by beholding. The doing in this verse is beholding. Seeing and savoring the glory of God is what we get to do. Just even this last sermon series through John 3, for me at least, has been massively savoring the glory of God. Um, Studying for last week's sermon... There was a place I, those of you who have Twitter and uh, follow me, know I never tweet. I pretty much tweet when I have kids. So four tweets maybe, that's all I'll have. Um, That's about it. I almost tweeted last week. That's a big deal for me. I almost tweeted to say, I can't believe that I get to study God's word and preach it on Sunday. I'm blown away by the passage that I was studying Because I got to see the glory of God so clearly, so evidently, and I got to savor his goodness and be changed by it. This is pretty much every letter that Paul writes. Paul says before you do something, you need to savor who God is. Think of Ephesians split into two parts. Chapter 1 and 3, 1 through 3 are all indicatives of who God is and who we are in God. Chapter 4 through 6 are all imperatives of of how we live based on who God is. Colossians is the same way. Chapter 1 and 2, indicatives of who God is and who you are in Christ. Chapter 3 and 4, imperatives of how we live. Romans, the same thing. Chapter 1 through 11, all indicatives about the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Chapters 12 through 16 are all imperatives. This is how we then live. That's why Jonathan Edwards says, I should think myself in the way of my duty to raise the affections of my hearers as high as I possibly can, provided that they are affected with nothing but truth, God's word, and with affections that are not disagreeable to the nature of what they are affected with. We need to be affected by God's glory before we ever try to do anything to please Him. It is my job as a preacher, and it is your job as a follower of Jesus, to savor the glory of God in the Word of God, and in doing so be changed. Every Sunday we get to do that. Every Sunday when we drive away, I always ask Chelsea what she learned about God I'm not asking her how she's going to try harder. I'm not asking her what she's going to do differently this week, although I have a long list of things she could do differently. I ask her, what did you learn about God? Because that's what's going to change you. That's what will change you. If you learned that God is trustworthy, I don't need to tell you to stop worrying. You will. If you learned that God loves you, I don't need to tell you to stop worrying. You will. If you know who God is and magnify him in your view and savor him for who he is, you will be changed. Number three. We get to make disciples. We get to magnify God when we join together here. We get to see and savor the glory of God in the gospel. We get to make disciples. We get to evangelize the lost. We get to go out and plead with them. Even as we've studied in John 3, we get to plead and say, Will you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? He has died for you. Come to him. We get to do that. Every single week we get to do that, whether it's here in this building through the preaching of the gospel or whether it's every other day outside of this building. We get to make disciples. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, pleading with people to come and repent. We get to be missionaries where we are. Think of all the missionary journeys that Paul went on. Think of all the ways that he went to make disciples. I've heard people say, man, it would be so easy for me to make disciples if I was Paul, because God personally went to Paul and said, hey, Paul. Paul. Go make disciples. Go preach the gospel. But God has never come to me personally and com- commissioned me to do that. The reality is Matthew 28, it's very clear. He has. Go into the, all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We have all been told by God that we need to do that. And we get to. It's not a chore. It's not a duty. It's a privilege to tell people you never have to be embarrassed of pleading with people to come into eternal joy. You never have to be embarrassed. Now, I know we all get embarrassed. We all get nervous. But our nervousness in speaking about Jesus, the light that we studied last week, the only reason we are nervous is either, number one, we're ignorant as to how amazing Jesus is, or number two, we care too much about what man thinks of us. The bottom line is what a privilege. I love when we get to gospel calls and evangelism in a church service to preach the gospel because we all need to hear it. We are so forgetful. Martin Luther tells a story when he was preaching in his church. Um, An old woman came up to him and said, Good sir, I love you and I love your sermons, but why do you preach the same sermon every week? Martin Luther said, what do you mean? I'm preaching from different passages, different things. She said, yes, but you always preach the gospel. You always end with the gospel. He said, oh, I preach the gospel every week because you forget it every week. You forget it every week. We walk out of these doors and we forget. That's why we need to magnify God, savor the glory of God, and then we will go forth and make disciples. Number four, we get to shepherd those disciples. We don't just stop at calling them. Come believe in Jesus, and if you do, I don't know what to do. Come believe in Jesus, and if you do, come grow. If you truly believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior and you love him for who he is, you will cherish him and treasure him, and that's what we get to do here. Every time we gather together, whether it's on Sunday mornings, whether it's on Sunday afternoons, whether it's Monday nights, whether it's Wednesday night, Thursday night, Saturday morning, every time we do that, we are shepherding each other to know who God is. There's a a bunch of passages I have here. Acts 14 talks about this. Acts 15, 16. Pretty much the book of Acts. You can see Paul discipling people. Strengthening the churches. Encouraging the churches. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29 is very clear. To present every man mature and complete in Christ is the goal. Ephesians chapter 4. The body has been given so that we are no longer tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. Romans fifteen 14, we're able to admonish one, admonish one another, encourage each other, shepherd each other. That's what we do. We get to shepherd disciples. This is a privilege. A shepherd has sheep that he takes care of, and he loves those sheep. They're, they're fluffy, they're cute, they're cuddly, They smell real bad. But he would give his life for the sheep. Would you give your life for one another? Is your goal when you see somebody else to selflessly serve him? That's why we preach through Philippians chapter 2. Don't let anything other than the humility that Jesus has given to us exude from you. We get to shepherd disciples. Finally, number five, every time we gather together, we get to treasure Jesus. You get to treasure him above all things. You're still in 2 Corinthians. Jump over to chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 3. We walk in the flesh, but we don't war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses or strongholds. We are destroying the speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. If Jesus reigns supreme in our minds and we take every thought that we have captive to him, if we did that perfectly, we would never sin. What happens, though? Chapter 11. I wish that you would bear, verse 1, bear with me, chapter 11, verse 1, in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. We come in here together. We take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We walk out these doors and we are deceived and we are led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. How are we led astray? Satan whispers in our ears. Our flesh cries out Did God really say? If you sin in this area, will it really be that bad for us? Is God really trustworthy? We get to treasure Christ together when we come every Sunday, every time we gather and say, no, no, the gospel is simple and pure. And I love Jesus. Not my sin, not myself. I love Jesus. Can you say with the Apostle Paul in Philippians 121 to live is Christ, to die is gain. He is my everything. Can you say like Paul says in Colossians 118 that Jesus has first place in everything preeminence in everything you do? Bottom line, Christ Bible Church, is, is Jesus everything to you? Is Jesus your all? Is he all to you? These are the reasons why I love coming to church. I love getting to magnify God and blow him up in our mind's eye. I love getting to be, feel small and see him as grand. I love getting to savor his goodness and his glory. Just drink deeply from the well and the fountain of his glory. I love getting to make disciples, to call them to believe and repent and turn to Christ. I love getting to shepherd disciples, and I love getting to treasure Jesus with those disciples above all things. You guys know that's our mission statement as a church. Why are we here? Why do we exist? We exist to magnify God and spread a passion to see and to savor his glory as we make disciples and shepherd them to value Jesus above all things. That's what we do. That's why we do everything we do. You would ask me, how do we do that? How is that brought about? How are we shepherding people? How are we savoring God's goodness? How do we do all these things? We have just four W's at our church. Word, worship, walk, and witness. Everything that we do is done because the Word of God tells tells us to do it. This is our authority. We don't go anywhere else. This is why we do everything that we do. We preach the Word. We teach the Word. We read the Word. We love the Word. And it reigns supreme in our church. We worship God, not just through song, but through prayer, through giving of our offerings. Everything that we do, we do to ascribe worth to God and not to any other thing. We want to destroy idols and worship God alone. We walk together hand in hand. We take what we are learning and we encourage each other how to live it out. That's why we do what we do on uh, Sunday afternoons, on Monday nights, on Wednesday nights, on Thursday nights, and on Saturday mornings. It's all about how are you living these things out in simplicity and in purity. How are you doing that? The reality is we need each other. The Bible clearly says that. We need each other. As we study this book, we need each other to figure out how we live that out. You can see Paul doing this in the Bible, studying the scriptures and then talking about how they live themselves out. That's what we do. That's why we live side by side, even what we're studying now together in our small groups. And then we go out, we witness, we scatter for the purpose of evangelism. Are these your passions? Why do you come to church? Why do you exist? Why are you here? I hope they are, and I know that for many of you they are. But lastly, I just want to challenge you. We're two years in. Hopefully we have decades more together, Lord willing. Are you willing to stake your life on the claims of Jesus? Are you willing to do what he tells you to do, no ifs, ands, or buts, and obey, trusting that he is trustworthy, that he is good, and that as you follow him, you'll be blessed? Are you willing to do that? Will you look like a fool? Maybe. Will you open your mouth in uncomfortable situations? Absolutely, as you share the gospel. As you own your sin, as you publicly share, this is who I am, this is what I'm doing, as you are encouraged and challenged. You might even die for your faith. But Jesus has said he will never leave us or forsake us. Are you willing to stake your claims on that? He said that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Are you willing to bet your life on that? I am. I have devoted my entire life to banking on that promise. And I just pray as we continue as a church... That our goal together, biblically, would be to magnify God in our, in our vision, in our mind's eye. Spread a passion for his glory in our midst and around the world. To make disciples and shepherd those disciples to value Jesus above all things. And that God would be glorified every time we meet in everything that we do. God, we thank you so much for your amazing grace. And I just pray for our church as we have gone through so much and so many ways that we have been blessed, so many ways we have been encouraged, so many ways that we have seen you trustworthy, seen you more valuable than anything this world has to offer. We have been blown away by your goodness. And I pray that you would continue to knit our hearts together around your word, around the gospel, and around cherishing Jesus above all things. We love him. We don't love him as much as we should. We don't love him as much as we will one day in heaven. But we want to love him more. And we will devote our lives to being devoted to him. Bless us as we go on from here. May we forever remember our mission of why we exist here. May the overall umbrella of your word govern every single thing that we do may you be pleased as your sheep follow the greatest shepherd who has ever lived, our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray all of these things for his glory. Amen.